0: In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization
1: is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a
0: leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up, never surrender. You will save us. What they got... Never give up and never surrender. We're struggling TV actors.
1: You are our last hope. Where's my limo? <laughs> Okie
0: okay, dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now, Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right. Would you sit, sit your, your ass out?
1: down? You wanna drive this to.
0: Acting like heroes. <gasps> the whole thing was oh. just a misunderstanding. May not be enough.
1: They look like little children.
2: Hi, little guy. <sighs> oh, my
0: God. Oh, darn. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just going to have to kill him. Well,
1: go for the mouth. The throw his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket it that doesn't have any vulnerable spots. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to another episode of Reconcinimation. I am John Diner,
2: and I'm David Munchak,
0: and we have a a returning guest host with us. It's our good friend Brent Hutchins is back with us this week. How you doing, Brent?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Really stoked to be here.
0: And we're not even cool. talking about a Friday the Thirteenth movie. It's crazy.
1: I know. I feel a little awkward about it all, but <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm also a fan of this movie so uh, it's like, like I said excited to be here
0: well your your studies across the globe uh, from the Voorhees Institute have, have brought you back to the states for a while I think you're going to be working uh, you know from from home for a little bit as we all are uh, and so we're, we're happy to have you as as often as your schedule allows to uh, jump on, on the show with us.
1: Yeah, I'm uh definitely going to be around more, going to hunker down and socially distance and and be safe like I hope everybody else is.
0: Yeah, we uh you know, we wanted to uh we're trying to get as many episodes out as we can. We hope uh, all you guys are staying safe and healthy and uh you know, we want to get these shows out so you can take your mind off for a little while and let's dive back in time to the 70s, 80s and 90s and check out some of our old favorites and not so favorites, but today's a good one. I mean, this is definitely on the on the favorite side for me. What about you guys
2: well i'm definitely loving anything to do with um spaceships and stuff like that. so you throw the the est b movie or the a triple a movie uh with spaceships i'm in uh so galaxy <laughs> quest hits 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 that button really well
1: i'm always down for a good quest a
2: quest among the stars. <laughs>
0: Uh, Galaxy Quest is, uh, you know, we're going to get into all the the nitty gritty here. Um, really, a I don't know. Would you say it's a cult favorite? I
2: feel
1: like it's
0: mainstream,
2: it right? Isn't it at this point as the years have gone by, as nerds have taken over the planet?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think you know the original reception wasn't wasn't. Uh so great but it's definitely you know on once it came out home video like started to really pick up and now it's you know definitely mainstream i think i think you talk to anybody and they've probably seen this movie at least once
0: yeah i think it took a, a little while to catch on it ha- it did have that cult status but yeah you know totally you're right like now uh, so many people have seen it and embrace it and love it for what it is um and we're we're going to be diving into it here so galaxy quest guys
2: i'm in i'm on board like i told you let's go
1: onward yeah beam me up upward so yeah, if beam us up <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you can't say that that's not this one
1: that's the wrong movie <laughs> oh yeah. yeah that's right my bad <laughs> although although i've i've heard that the the guys who made the more recent star trek movies watched this movie quite a bit so maybe maybe it still works
0: yeah well it's like when we'll talk about that whether this movie is a a you know cousin of star trek or you know is it even in the world of star trek or not but um brent when was the uh what was the first time you actually saw galaxy quest Do you remember
1: i was trying to remember that uh i i definitely saw it in the theater it was in new mexico i'm sure of it so uh but i don't recall the actual first viewing the first time i like when it came out on dvd i immediately bought it and watched it probably 14 times in that same week
0: that was that was like zoolander for me when that came out on on dvd we watched it like i don't know every day at least so yeah (laughs) what about you david do you remember seeing it for the first time
2: yeah I saw it with my sister, and which would have been it would have been that Christmas holiday when it came out uh and I loved it we loved it it was but in uh yeah it was it was a great experience in the theater i didn't i thought it was going to be a like i don't know what to expect I didn't know what to expect at the time, but I remember just laughing constantly and loving uh how seriously they took everything. it was so fun mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I uh, I remember seeing it, so yeah, this came out at Christmas 99. I didn't see it till after we got back to to school. this is when we we're Brent and I were at the College of Santa Fe RIP uh, and RIP. It was after Christmas break when we came back and I remember uh, our good friend Jeremiah and I cut our history of world cinema class. To go see this movie, so I apologize to our teacher Brent Cleaver for that move. Um, no, we weren't sick that day. We were we were cutting and seeing Galaxy Quest. It was like a six o'clock showing at, at uh, I think it was the De Vargas Mall that we saw it at. But uh, yeah, I was just gonna
1: it, say which which theater in Santa Fe you see it in.
0: It, it was De Vargas. Now I remember. Yeah, it was De Vargas yeah. and. It was like we had that guilty feeling like we shouldn't, you know, we, we really shouldn't be here. But it was, the movie was so, we loved the movie so much. It was, that thought was gone like almost, you know, five minutes after it started. Um, David Mamet called this movie one of the four perfect films that are out there. Can you believe that?
1: Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. But <laughs> after rewatching it, like, it kind of is, I mean, it is like almost, it almost perfectly does what it's trying to do, which is pay homage to, you know, obviously the, the Trek fans and kind of all that sci-fi fandom. Mm -hmm. And it does it in such a way that's like, so, uh, you know, like it's not really making fun. It's like almost in reverence of, you know, like just, uh, the appreciation for people who love this kind of, uh, entertainment, you know, and it's, I think it's, they, they kind of nailed it.
0: Yeah, I, it's crazy though. I mean, he he put it on a, on a tier with. Here's the other three: Godfather one. You'll get no argument from me on that one. That's a perfect <laughs> film. Uh, a Place in the Sun and Dodsworth, which I have not seen Dodsworth, so Neither can't vouch I. for can't vouch for it. But can't say um, no. That's a that's a that's quite a quite a foursome as your four perfect films.
1: Well, I mean, just Mamet himself saying something like that is a pretty ringing endorsement, I feel yeah. like. I'm sure he doesn't take his opinion lightly.
0: Do you Do you guys know of anybody who doesn't like this movie?
2: I don't think I know no. anybody. I don't think there's anybody that, that... No, anyone I have met, I'm sure, have seen this and we appreciate it just as much as I do, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even people who... Even people who are not like big sci-fi fans or anything like that seem to just to, to still appreciate the movie just on a like a comic level or storytelling level. You know, I mean, I feel like it's 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 pretty well done, easily relatable for a, lo- a lot of people.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, and the crowd that embraced this movie when it first came out or in the few years after that is are the people who are writers and producers, the you know i'm sure that the you know the jj J. abrams of the world and that you know uh, that, that those a, that age of filmmakers are the ones you know who are uh, uh, making the star treks and the star wars and and get that kind of mix of humor in there as well so and and this i think had a big part of that
1: well right i mean i know for you and i like it came out when we were in film school mm-hmm. so it's like you know and it it was kind of the i feel like the first movie of its kind to really like pay tribute to those to those kind of the geeks being cool you know
0: yeah i mean it uh it totally embraced the well all right so let's talk about you know compare this to star trek so clearly this is based on the world of star trek and and the what would be the Star starship enterprise and uh you know they've changed the characters slightly but it's it's I mean, would you say it's it's based on the original series more or Next Generation?
2: Yeah, mostly the original series with a slight Next Generation aesthetic to it, like a little update, but not quite as fancy.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Most,
2: it's mostly a love letter to the original series.
0: Yeah, and at this point, you know, so where are we? We're 1999, so all the Comic-Cons, like none of that had really started happening. It was... What was on? I mean, there were Star Trek specific conventions that were where all the fans would, you know. I mean, the same thing as conventions now, but it was specifically Star Trek, wasn't it?
2: Oh sure, yeah. There were pretty much con- conventions in all over all over the country, like any like comic book convention, you know, which might be at a, at a Holiday Inn and in one con- uh, little conference room or something. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, there were Star Trek conventions all over all over the place. These these guys were living off those appearance not living off them but you know they were making a good living going to these appearances and things when it was still still big
0: totally yeah the, that original star trek crew just completely made a you know a living off of uh going you know that that whole route which people still do now but it was i just remember it being like really specifically like comic books and star trek specifically like being the you know, the main event of those of those conventions with like, you know, Battlestar Galactica and, and other things in there, too.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, they I mean, the, there was I don't know if you guys ever saw the the documentary Trekkies, but, you know, like not in, not any other mm-hmm. convention people back in the the 90s were getting, you know, a documentary made up uh, about themselves that I that I can recall.
0: Right. It was the Star Trek, and wasn't it Wizard Wizard World? Remember that magazine, Wizard? Yeah,
1: no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, well, that wasn't that
0: wasn't your thing, Brent. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> sorry, I missed that one. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, Wizard start, you know started their own like sort of comic convention kind of thing, and they would buy, basically buy up the sponsorship uh, with a lot of the smaller shows and things, and then a lot of things were Wizard World convention, and it was right. It it took over everything.
1: Was that like was that like part of like the Dungeons and Dragons world? Like I feel like I feel like those probably had conventions around that time as well.
2: Um, Wizard World, Wizard World specifically was like comics, and then the intersection of that with like with movies, but like comic book movies and action. Got it. And, and then like genre TV and movies, like sort of like just bled out to that. I think for the most part.
0: Well, it was it was really the forerunner to Comic Con, and then all the other. Cons that have come after that, like the Wrath yeah. of Con. <laughs>
2: well, the San Diego Comic Con, as it. it is, was uh, was <clears throat> was still kind of the the mecca for the nerds, not the nerds, but for the whole the whole shebang, you know. Um, before Hollywood really started taking over Comic Con, but that that's been going on since the late '60s, I believe. Right, the original. The San
0: Diego Comic Con's been around that long.
1: Oh yeah,
2: are you thinking maybe? Like some other kind of convention, but not having to do with like comics. Like, what are you, what are the no, I just, industries you like to follow that are having conventions? Like a,
0: no, I just like mean a, like you a, know as the as the movie industry took over the comic conventions and and it went from being you know like about whatever Marvel and DC characters and it morphed into like movies and anything sort of you know things premiering at at comic-con and what it is now it's like everything goes there everything has a booth it doesn't have to be related to superheroes or comic books or whatever or sci-fi
2: oh yeah it's it's all-encompassing media entertainment right tv shows sitcoms everything um but yeah i mean technically it's still the same body that it was going back decades but it's it's nothing like it used to be
1: Right now it's like much, much more mainstream for sure, right totally, yeah,
0: yeah, do you guys remember when uh William Shatner hosted Saturday Night Live, and I think it was either eighty nine or ninety, and that skit and he was where he
1: <laughs> bag- bagging on fans yeah yeah, yeah,
0: God, that's great that is uh, but that was it feels like like almost like that skit sort of also had a hand in in creating what galaxy quest was does anybody feel that way like do you remember it that well that because it's it so embraces like the fan participation in that skit and just commenting on that and uh i don't know i felt like that was especially with the justin long character here um really like harkened back to that skit
1: oh yeah for sure i mean it 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 owns that whole uh you know like fandom side of it Again like I, I think this movie is kind of a Love story to, to the fans right
0: Yeah For totally sure. It's yeah it's uh, Definitely a love letter To fans I mean it's about You know what What really Is happening you know behind the scenes In, in these movies and with a lot of these People as these shows Get such a you know uh, like Like the original well I guess the original Star Trek wasn't that popular when it was on. It wasn't until the 70s when it was in reruns that it really started to pick up steam.
1: Well, and then the movies came out, right? And that's, you know, like in conjunction with that, like that's when it really kind of started to skyrocket.
0: Well, that's how that's the only reason the movies were made. So the show, the show, the original Star Trek series lasted three seasons. It was canceled at the end of three. The ratings were you know, if they started out good, then they, they went downhill. They had a lot of problems with Gene Roddenberry and, and the creative direction of the show and and um so it was off the air for I think four or five years and then in the early seventies they uh it started rerunning, you know, regularly and that was when people really started to get into it. And that's when the Star Trek convention started. And with the amount of people that were You know, getting into the show, Paramount decided to make. Well, they actually decided to bring the show back, and it was going to be called Star Trek Phase Two. And that, eventually, there was a lot of again like budgetary issues and and creative story issues that they decided to scrap that and make. You know, after Star Wars came out, they said they were going to. You know, Paramount wanted to compete with it and launch the Star Trek the Motion Picture which uh, I know where do you guys where does that movie fall on your on your radar do you love Star Trek one
1: I'm okay with if it I never have to watch that movie again I'm okay <laughs> that's that's where I feel sorry that's pretty strong opinion but it's so long It is. Long. it seems so long yeah it's slow it's just very slow
0: it's almost more of a you know it's more along the lines of 2001 a space odyssey than it is Star Wars.
1: Yeah, but it is no 2001 space. No, odyssey. it's
0: mm-hmm. it's not, but it's really like these long slow shots of them just going through space and when they're, you know, inside the the being at the end and just like really looking at all the cool visual effects and and production design elements that are in there. But it's like, okay, this is like thirty minutes of almost no dialogue, and just kind of right. floating through here. It's very slow and it's tough. It's a tough watch, but I like it what what do you think david
2: yeah i'm I'm like okay with it. I think it's a it's such an ambitious difference from the series. you know they were really taking a shot. i mean it's not as entertaining as all that, but it's visually interesting for for what it was
0: um, absolutely, yeah.
2: Yeah, but I don't think it's like yeah, necessarily bad. Like,
1: it's just a sort of a misfire. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not like a super super Star Trek fan, but <clears throat> of all the movies, of all the movies, that's probably the one that I would watch uh least. I think <laughs> I'd watch all the other movies over that one again. Yeah, I but dig it.
0: Yeah, well, Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan, is where obviously, and we'll at some point, I'm sure we're going to cover some of the Star Trek movies, but Two is the really first big hit, and and it was kind of like the last chance for Star Trek because one was such a you know commercial failure that uh, you know Two was going to be the last chance they had, and then of course it's a big hit. Three is a hit. Four is a big giant hit. With the whales, I mean, who doesn't, yeah, who doesn't love the humpback whales,
1: right? I loved four
0: George and Gracie, that's their names. Um, and then by that point, uh, the year I guess it was between Star Trek's four and five is when The Next Generation came out, <clears throat> so Star Trek was kind of back in full force by the mid 80s. Um, right. so yeah, but Galaxy Quest is you know is a is embracing that love of star trek and also embracing you know how it was for the cast and the the actors involved and what you know that behind the scenes was did not necessarily mirror uh you know what their on-screen personas were at all or what their relationships were i mean for the most part it was you know shatner was the lead with leonard nimoy and deforest kelly and then the rest of them took a pretty far back seat and were just sort of along for the ride. It feels like, yeah,
2: yeah. they're part of the, yeah. they're part of the, that's that core team, but the it's, it really is the show about that trio. Absolutely. And that's going to carry through the films.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I think they capture that really well in galaxy quest, you know, by having obviously, you know, uh, Tim Allen's character as, as the captain Kirk character. And then, and then, all the all the supporting characters kind of fill fill it out and it and it works really well in in the movie
0: yeah i mean you if you read any interviews or seen any interviews with the the original cast of of star trek they all have a lot of them you know basically everybody but leonard nimoy and deforest kelly all had major issues with william shatner and and him you know he would take lines of a dialogue away from them and and absorb it either for himself or the other two and everything was you know all the stories were heavily leaning towards them and there was a lot of bitterness over the years and even though they did all the movies together they just personally there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of animosity and and that opening scene of galaxy quest just totally nails it where they're all you know they're at a convention waiting to go out he's running late and they're all just pissed off and tired of doing this for what is it? Seven, it's 17 years after the show went off the air.
2: Yeah. I think that was the idea. Yeah.
1: But they're, they're also mad at him for taking gigs that they're not a part of. Right. So it's a little bit of a, it's, you know, they're kind of hypocritical in, in that manner. Other than, other than, you know, the Alan Rickman character who obviously just hates his life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, that, and that's yeah. I I, I kind of saw Alan Rickman's character as kind of a cross between Spock and Data. Sure. Am I? Am I? I mean, I think he's much more Spock than Data, but I think there's like a little bit of Data in there.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's like the the main supporting non-human character, right? Like, it, I I, right. I get the similarities. there. Right.
0: Right. And, you know, Leonard Nimoy had come out in the I think in the 70s and written a book called I Am Not Spock. And he was just very, very anti Star Trek, uh, which would but would then sort of shift, <clears throat> excuse me, shift gears and, you know, reembrace Star Trek by the mid 80s. And it was really like Leonard Nimoy's creative involvement that saved the whole franchise, really, with Star Trek's two and three and four. But yeah, yeah, Alan Alan Rickman is a uh, what? Alexander Dane, right? Is his character's name? Yeah, Sir Alexander I... Dane.
1: <laughs> it's crazy that Alan Rickman was playing that character. I mean, I just got I like. You have got
0: yeah. You've got uh, Tim well,
1: Allen, who's, you know, I sorry. I, am I jumping the gun? Are you about to get into this? Well, no. Like, I was
0: got. I was gonna like segue into you know how this how this movie got made and. You know, I think we should talk about, you know, this is one of the early DreamWorks films. DreamWorks came, uh, started, they launched in, I believe it was like the fall of 97, I think, with, I remember the Peacemaker being one of the first movies I saw that had that DreamWorks logo.
1: Yeah. Peacemaker, that's right.
0: That George Clooney, Nicole Kidman thing.
1: Yeah. I think Forces of Nature was in there yeah. somewhere too. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but they were, you know, in their early days, they were, you know, they were a, a new studio. It was launched by it was uh, Spielberg, Katzenberg, and why am I forget? uh Geffen? Geffen? Yeah, yeah. And who yeah. were launching? And it was a big huge. It was a big deal. I think in '96 when they announced it that they were launching a new studio that was. Um, you know, gonna obviously, you know, in the '90s, Spielberg and those three guys were were such, he- you know, the heaviest of heavyweights. So that was uh, that was a big deal, and it was interesting to see what, you know, their first lineup was going to be, and and uh, I think they were really reaching in a lot of creative directions about, you know, what kind of films they were going to produce, and kind of waiting to see what would hit and and start moving right. in maybe in that direction and. And this was definitely a movie they took a chance on
1: i mean they they absolutely took a chance on it, but then like I feel like they lost their lost their way a little bit right like they got a little timid when it came time to uh to promote the movie
0: yeah the well well t- the marketing was a little i think different from what the what the finished film truly was, but while they were you know while they were shooting the movie I think Gladiator was shooting at the same time and it seemed like they were sort of all hands on deck on Gladiator because obviously that is sure. a huge movie and obviously a big Oscar contender and Galaxy Quest sort of like slipped under the radar for them so they kind of got away yeah. with a little more
1: <laughs> do you think if had Gladiator not been going on at the same time and had their attention like and executives were more involved in the making of Galaxy Quest. Like, I, I wonder, I wonder what kind of harm it may have ultimately done to to the movie if they had been more involved. I think it's I mean, like, the, I, y- I think I think the movie's great. Like, it turned out great, and I think it's great because they probably got away with a lot of stuff with with people looking the other way, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is the kind of movie that the more a studio or or network gets involved with, the more they're going to kind of muddle it up. It's such, you know, this is is a, a, a film that crosses genres at a time when that wasn't really done. Right. You know, like action movies were action movies. Horror movies were horror movies. Comedies were comedies. There wasn't, you know, maybe there was a little bit of like comedies and dramas kind of you know, like with Coen Brothers movies, um, like like Fargo, which you can uh, listen to on the archives at uh, mm-hmm. You know, bled that that genre from comedy to drama, but you didn't do it with a lot of the other ones. Like there weren't really that many, or if any that I can think of, sci-fi comedies. Was there at the time?
2: At the time in the '90s, I mean, Ghostbusters.
0: Yeah, okay, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, but that was fifteen, fifteen years before this.
1: Sure, sure. Well, what about Spaceballs?
0: Spaceballs, yep, but that was also eighty seven. So there's a that's a big gap between.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, nothing, nothing like this. And Spaceballs is definitely. I mean, that's kind of more a spoof than anything. Like, I don't really right. get that this is a spoof. Like, this movie takes itself much more seriously.
0: Totally. I mean, it, it's got, obviously, it's a complete homage to Star Trek, but it's not a spoof of it. It's not really making fun of Star Trek. It's it's almost just like embracing the passion of the fans who love it, but it's not even, I don't know, it's not really making fun of any of that.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> it's got a very careful and loving hand uh, who's, creatively driving this so um but yeah it's the kind of thing that it's it's hard to it's hard to walk that line and studios usually don't like that they usually push it one direction or another and and which is what you saw in the marketing here after the movie comes you know after the movie's made you know they they're pushing it as a as a kid's film
2: yeah well that's what i mean i mean but like that's it. going back to like the studio interference i mean they they were clearly shooting a, a pg13 kind of you know yeah. satire yeah. comedy like the what they, the final product is quite different but like you know it was a it was a little more it was a little more graphic and a little more and just a little more language heavy but nothing too mm-hmm. serious so i mean like there was definitely a tonal thing that like I think it's a it was irreverent, just like this is a bit irreverent, but I think like they took the irreverence like to the next level with just like the i don't know whatever the gross out opportunities or anything like that, so I feel mm. like this is this might have been to the benefit of the movie for their interference to making it like very light p g fair
1: well right i think I think the movie ends up playing so well because it's almost like a perfect storm, you know like. Mm-hmm. I mean, so originally, you know, it was supposed to be directed by Harold Ramis. Right. And so. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I think the executives, when they had Harold Ramis involved, were much more involved because he was, a, you know, I mean, not to not to bag on on. Uh, I mean, I can't even unfortunately remember the director, the the gentleman who ended up directing the movie. Dean Pariseau, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like he he was he was not a known name. Harold Ramis no. was huge. And yeah. so you know, they were much more involved, I'm sure when Harold was involved because you know, like he's a big deal and then the and then he up and leaves the the project and and they get the new guy and now they've got Gladiator and that's a bigger deal with with uh going on there and so, you know, like again, people stop looking and Right. Uh And, and the director comes in and, you know, like has a real love for the material and, you know, is able to create something that, you know, ultimately Mamet says is one of the four perfect movies.
0: Yeah. I mean, they were, they were definitely involved in the early phase of it in, you know, when, when Harold Ramis was involved with the project and, um, Obviously, Harold Ramis is a a legend, and we love Harold Ramis. We took a look at Groundhog Day back in uh, year one, which you can also listen to in the archives. Uh, But he he had just come off of, obviously, some huge movies through the 80s and early 90s, but he'd he'd done Multiplicity, and he did analyze this. Uh, I, I think he was done with Analyze This by the time he got involved with this project, but... Yeah, they were very involved in the beginning with Harold and then kind of like were gone while the movie was being shot and made and cut together. And then they were back when it was like time to market it. That's when they stepped back in and, and the movie had changed from, I think, what it was originally. But um, right. you know, the ca- the casting process was, they were definitely involved, involved with. And let's talk about that for a minute. Did you guys hear the list yeah. of of names who, of who was originally going to be Jason Nesmith, the Tim Allen role?
1: It was like basically everybody, including <laughs> my neighbor, and and <laughs> Tim Allen was not anywhere on the list.
0: Uh, no, it, it's let, let's go through it, and I'm going to say the names, and you guys say whether or not you think that person would have worked well as that character. So let's start with Kevin Klein.
1: Yeah. Maybe it would have been a different. It would have been a different character. He would have been much more like physical comedy, I think. But yeah, a little smirier, yeah,
2: smirier.
0: maybe, yeah, maybe like a, like a more of a uh, swashbuckling. Is that is that a word? SWAT the um like yeah. the old Douglas Fairbanks yeah. kind of. Yeah.
2: yeah, 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 like a pirate captain.
0: Yeah, I I mean I could see it. I could see Kevin Klein. That might work. What do you think about um? What do you think about Alec Baldwin? Now, think about nineteen ninety nine Alec Baldwin, not today's Alec Baldwin with his comedic, you know, stance. Uh,
1: probably not. I mean, what was Alec Baldwin doing in ninety nine? Right, like.
0: Uh, barely anything. I mean, his career was in the in the shitter. Quite frankly, he was you know he had done the getaway and the, and the shadow. And, you know, he was really, they were pushing him through the nineties as a big action star. And it just like, it wasn't taking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think at the time that, that would have been a good, a good fit. You know, I mean, I think, I think, I think if Alec Baldwin, you know, Alec Baldwin has really grown into his comedic chops. I feel like over the last 20 years and totally, uh, you know Alec Baldwin now would probably be fine.
0: Yeah, I think Alec Baldwin be really great. I, I think like Thirty Rock Alec Baldwin would have been fantastic. I think he's obviously a little too old now, but uh, yeah. yeah, like that. You know, the first couple seasons of Thirty Rock, then he would have he would have been in that zone.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's just for, in that time frame. Like that's just not going to work.
0: Yeah. Um. One of the people that uh, that Harold Ramis really wanted was Steve Martin.
2: That would make it wacky. I, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah.
0: <clears throat> I can see it working though, because he can play
2: Ernest, Ernest, earn, and 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 stuff, and kind of like a bully, <laughs> or kind of like a jerk. It'd be totally different, but yeah, I don't know.
0: I, I just had a thought, and I'll say it after we get through this list about you know a, a casting idea. I'll come back to it though. Uh, what do you think about Bruce okay. Willis as as Jason Nesmith? No, no thanks. No. No, no, definitely not. It would just be yeah. the the comedy wouldn't be there. The you know the the lighter side of it. It would just become an much more action heavy.
1: Why would I mean I don't even under, I don't even understand how Bruce Willis's name gets thrown in there on that list, but
0: Well, because he's a huge star. I mean, this is post Armageddon, so he's you know one of the top draws at the box office. So you know, they're always going to have the big name actors, and then they'll kind of whittle them out if they're too, you know, too much for the budget and, and, uh, or, or whatever the reason is. But their studios are always going to throw big names in there. Mel Gibson, same, same deal as Bruce Willis to me. Yeah. That's the same. That you
1: know. Yeah. This is, this is post Braveheart.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, this is about four years so, after Braveheart. So this yeah, is probably even so. after. Payback maybe,
1: and many 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 years after Bird Bird on a Wire, which I think is the <laughs> only comedy I remember Mel Gibson ever being in.
0: Yeah, this is this is definitely after Air America and Bird on a Wire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what about Robin Williams?
1: Yeah, maybe. I could see I like, it. I like Robin Williams.
0: I like Robin Williams. I don't, and and he can definitely clearly, he was he could do drama, he could do comedy. But I don't know, I mean it it was uh, unless I'm misremembering he was always doing one or the other. It wasn't like this kind of blend of both,
2: yeah, well, yeah. I mean you know, but
0: maybe uh, def- maybe I'm wrong there, maybe I'm wrong, maybe you know it's been a while since i've I've gotten into Robin Williams, but I
1: think i think I think I'd have a hard time- believing he could pull off like kind of the Shatner captain type thing. But he, I think he can definitely pull off drama and comedy. Right. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. I I think he might have been a little too over the top. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It, it would have been interesting, but I don't think that I don't think it was the right mix. Now, okay. What about Bill Murray?
2: Nah.
1: <laughs> yeah, again, I don't. I don't think. I don't think he's the right. The right kind of guy. Not for this character. I mean.
0: So I was just thinking what if you had I mean, Bill Bill Murray as as Nesmith and then um Steve Martin as Alexander Dane the Alan Rickman role. I don't I know. know, I think uh, maybe uh, <laughs> No. I think
1: I think the more I think the more we play this game the more I realize how perfect the cast is. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can't get too far off from that. I mean, the cast is brilliant from top to bottom. Even like the supporting people are are like, I mean, they were not big names at the time, but some of them have ended up being really recognizable actors, you know? Like, yeah, like, yeah uh, absolutely.
0: Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, between the studio and and Harold Ramis, basically that was who they were going after. Um, I believe it was Jeffrey Katzenberg who came up with the the Tim Allen angle to it, who had just... <clears throat> he had been obviously on Home Improvement, which was a huge hit. For what was it at this point? Was it even on anymore? Was it still on in '99? I can't remember. I think, but
1: I think I it feel... was. I think it had, like was just ending, or or was yeah. it on its tail end.
2: Yeah, I think '99 was its last year.
0: Okay, uh, he had started doing movies. He did what Jungle to Jungle and uh, Richer or Poorer, I think. Which I-, I wasn't a fan of either of those yeah. movies, but. Um, kids by like Santa 90- Claus Oh yeah, Santa Claus movies, right, 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 which were big hits.
1: Yeah, and then and then, you know, obviously Toy Story, uh, yeah. Toy Story.
0: Yeah. 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 But that it's like, I don't know, you don't look at Toy Story Toy Story <clears throat> as a Tim Allen movie.
1: You don't, but you can definitely I can definitely make the leap from uh from uh uh Buzz Lightyear to to Captain Nesbitt.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, Katzenberg is is pushing Tim Allen, or or you know, bringing up the idea of Tim Allen, and Ramis is very not into it. He didn't see it, or it's not they didn't like Tim Allen. He just wasn't. He didn't feel he was right for this part. I think he was leaning towards, um, you know, Alec Baldwin and Steve Martin as his choices. Um, so they they have this very awkward lunch where it was sort of forced to get Harold to meet Tim Allen and try to sell him on the idea of of going with him and Tim Allen went into the meeting thinking he had the role when he definitely did not have it quite yet and uh you know Harold was like with it before they even started eating it was like he was talking about how he was looking for an action star who can do comedy not a comedian who can do action which, right. you know, like it was it was out there that he was looking at Bill Murray and Steve Martin. So that clearly wasn't true. And that was a very uh, and I think, you know, there were, everyone realized that they weren't all on the same page. And pretty quickly after that, Harold is, uh, you know, steps out of the project entirely. What do you what do you guys think it would have been had he stayed with it, though? I think it
1: would have been very different.
2: It it would be nothing yeah. like the movie that we'd have. Like it'd be a little more, it'd be a little more edgy. It'd be edgier all around, and it would be, I don't know. I could see it being kind of bullying about <laughs> the, the fandom side of it, or not bullying, but yeah. just sort of like there's always somebody punching down on somebody <laughs> in the in Harold Ramis's you know films.
0: Well, that's show. why that's why yeah. Bill and he were such a good fit together.
1: Yeah. Right. I think I think it would have been much more William Shatner's take on on the Star Trek fans.
0: Yeah, from yeah. from
1: his Saturday Night Live skit.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, and and look, you've you know, so Harold steps out, and you've got Dean Pariso, who had worked with the the producer of Galaxy Quest, uh, Mark Johnson. They had just done a movie together called Home Fries. Does anybody remember that? You know, lower budget, like, kind of more of an indie rom com. Yeah. That that feels uh, like your uh, movie, your kind of movie, Brent.
1: Oh yeah, I'm all over the rom coms. <laughs> Who was in that? That was uh,
0: Drew Barrymore and uh, Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson. Luke yeah.
1: Wilson? Yeah. Yeah. I think I yeah. probably never seen that movie.
0: Yeah, I I haven't that. either. But Maybe. you know, and it seems like a quite a jump from doing a you know romantic comedy like that to a bigger budget sci-fi comedy like this one but you know they had they had faith that dean paraso could do it and i think he proved himself here
1: yeah for sure <clears throat> well and the, who's the, the mark johnson that producer He's done a ton of stuff too so. oh yeah he's uh, he's like, i mean i
0: think breaking bad is his you know main tv show but yeah he's a huge name yeah. and a very big producer so <clears throat> um
1: yeah because wasn't, because uh, going back, wasn't Vince Gilligan, he was on, He didn't he help write Home, Fri- Home what was it, Home Fries? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Wasn't he, it was a story by or something? Yeah. So, they had all worked together. They knew what was up.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it all worked out for all of them, so. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, like everything, you know, the rest of the cast, the the stars definitely aligned uh, for everybody here, and, and it's all over the place. You've got... You know, you've got a TV star as as the one of the three leads with Tim Allen. And then they went back to the sci-fi well and uh, grabbed Sigourney Weaver, which is, uh, am- I mean, this is one of her best roles. She's amazing in it. And didn't she have to fight for this role? Well, I think Harold, yeah, obviously Harold Ramis had worked with her on Ghostbusters. And I think he, I think that he was pushing for her. So when he left the project that kind of like canceled her out as well so then she had to like she really wanted it at that point and she had to really campaign for it
1: so she had to fight to keep the role basically
0: well she never she didn't like have it but yeah she had to stay on top and and she had to audition for it and it's weird to even think that someone the caliber of sigourney weaver had to audition yeah because she's, you know, what she, sure. I mean, she, she's coming off of, at this point, Alien Resurrection and the Ice Storm. So, you know, pretty much heavier. She wasn't certainly wasn't known for, for comedy.
1: No. I mean, the closest thing she did to comedy at that point still had been Ghostbusters, right?
0: Yeah, I think Ghostbusters might be it at that point.
1: And, and it wasn't like her role was comedic.
0: No, no, she was, she was like the, you know, darker side of the, of the movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, probably a bit of a stretch, but man, did it work? She was perfect.
0: She's Again. so amazing. I mean, like her character is so brilliant. All she does is just repeat what the computer says.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's a great gag. And she falls right back into it, you know, yeah. when, when they end up on the, on the spaceship.
0: Yeah. Uh but I mean and the part of what's so great about it is that you know her character her real life character in the movie you know no is very aware that her character has such a limited role and doesn't do very much and just kind of serves to uh you know narrate the what the action of the scene basically right <laughs> and she was once she was cast she Loved playing this character. She loved, you know, becoming a blonde and all of a sudden having a large bosom that um, she was very fascinated with it and often, like, supposedly did not take the, you know, the, the hair and the, you know, the wardrobe off. She just liked being that person while she was in production here. I guess kind of a method thing, but it wasn't really an actress thing. It was just a fascination. Alan Rickman was another huge get for this movie.
1: Yeah, that right there blows my mind. I mean, this is before all the Harry Potter stuff and all that. I mean Alan Rickman was I mean the guy is a insanely established, well thought of like actor with presence. You know, I mean yeah. he's not he's not you know, not the I mean Yeah. It, it, that's a that's a huge land. Yeah, well, to get, yeah, him, well, to get well, him to play that role, you know, I mean, it's so perfect.
0: Yeah, he's he's you know got the royal you know theatrical background and the uh, you know a huge history there, but obviously debuting with Die Hard and Robin Hood and and just a lot of big movies throughout the nineties and and uh, you know he was he I guess he had started doing smaller movies like he's coming off of Michael Collins and dogma, I think just came out before this. So, which was, yeah. I, I don't remember dogma that well, but the cast in that movie is another like huge list of m- major actors, but
1: yeah, that's one of the, uh, uh, Kevin,
0: Kevin Smith,
1: Kevin Smith movies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: that's when he, that's when he really started, uh, trying to impress people with the cast that he could put together for his <laughs> film. <Yeah>. Exactly.
2: <laughs> well, he's really funny in that movie, play, in the, playing sort of the, along the same lines as, as this character, sort of put-upon kind of talented person, right. but uh, like having to deal with these frustrations. So he just he has like a one-two comedic punch, I think,
1: with Dogma and yeah. Galaxy Quest. Yeah. I'll have to go back and watch that. It's been forever since I've seen it.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen. I uh, mostly stay away from everything Kevin Smith touches uh, in the last I don't know twenty something years, but I do still enjoy Clerks once in a while.
1: Sure. I mean, Jersey Girl was good.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry. But yeah, he, and he's so great as as Alexander Dane, and um, you're really hearkening yeah. back to to the Spock character and this you know the, the character is sort of i guess the on-screen character is sort of one-dimensional and just the you know the alien presence on the ship and who's got his you know his trademark by grabthar's hammer dialogue by grabthar's that hammer <laughs> it was it by grabthar's hammer i shall avenge thee isn't that the he full shall line be avenged, something yeah like something that. yeah 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 you really but shall uh, be so
1: was was Alan, Rickman, was Alan Rickman and Tim Allen, was their relationship uh, behind the scenes, was that kind of like a love-hate thing? I thought I heard that.
0: Uh, yeah, I think it was. It was just two very different backgrounds of, uh, you know, where they're coming from. And, you know, uh, I think Tim Allen needed a little more work to get, you know, get the, he wasn't always, you know, as prepared as Alan Rickman was. And Rickman would be, you know, knew his stuff and he would be early to work and ready to go and wasn't you know messing around that's that theatrical uh background will will train you that way but you know Tim Allen is more you know he was the star of his own tv show for years and uh could call a lot of his own shots and you know, in that world, it's not necessarily that they're on time every day or, you know, know the entire script backwards and forwards. A lot of times in TV, they'll learn the dialogue that they need for that day. Specifically, they'll have that memorized, but not necessarily everything surrounding that. Right. So I don't think they like, you know, disliked each other. It was just really different, two really different pages that they were on yeah um, but the rest of the cast is freaking amazing and these guys were uh, you know Tony Shalhoub had been around for a while he'd been on Wings um, he was in you know had a, a really small role in Men in Black but was and uh, it was in a great movie called Big Night in the I think 96 97 was uh, doing a lot of indie movies and, and building up his sort of street cred but he's another one and fantastic not, in let's, this movie
1: let's Let's not forget Quick Change. His role in Quick Change is
0: hard. Yeah, Yeah, I forgot all that.
1: He is so brilliant in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, It's such a small role, but he's so good.
0: Yeah. And I guess
1: his role role in um, Galaxy Quest was actually kind of small, too. And a lot of the stuff that you see him do in that, he kind of ad-libbed and kept it. Like they just kind of let him run with his own little thing to build his character a little bit bigger. Right. Oh
0: yeah. He was uh it was right. I think David, it was, he was a small, smaller character. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. yeah. That had, they they had this whole like stoner storyline for him that ended up get a lot of it getting cut out or just trimmed out.
2: Yeah. They had a lot really? more bits with that. Like make it more obvious where like, the cut of him in this movie as it is, is just a little, he seems just a little eccentric, but, but clearly like everyone's in on the no anyway.
0: Yeah. It's much more like alluded to and, and subtle that he's, you know, a a pothead, but he's, you know, he's always got, he's always eating something in in almost every scene, especially in the first half of the movie. He's, um, yeah, he's always got a snack. So, which was, yeah, (laughs) you know that happens so yeah <laughs> uh but uh yeah god he's great what about sam rockwell coming i mean the, the the last time i'd seen sam rockwell was i think teenage mutant ninja turtles
1: i didn't realize he was on <laughs> that
0: yeah he is yeah. the um
1: yeah he's like the head head thug or something right yeah now that yeah, you say exactly.
0: that i think i
2: can picture him
0: oh
1: So, I've known about Sam Rockwell for a very long time. Sam Rockwell (laughs) blows my mind. So, like, because around the same time is when Green Mile came out, right? And so, like, this character and his character in Green Mile are completely different. And I don't know which one I saw first, but when I saw him in Green Mile, I was like, man, that guy's pretty good. And then I feel like the combination of these two movies, seeing him act back to back, like, shows what kind of range he really has. I mean, to land him, he's. Like, I think I mean, Sam Rockwell's a brilliant actor, but, like, to, to get him before he kind of exploded was a huge win.
0: Yeah, well, this was, uh, this was at the time where he really was... He wasn't a name at all. He was, you know, still a struggling actor, and this part is perfect for him. I mean, Guy is... I think Guy's my favorite in the whole movie. I think he always has oh, been. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> yeah. like, so amazing as... Because he's is he now just remind me and in, in when we meet everybody in the beginning of the movie, is he working at that convention?
1: Yeah, he's yeah. like he's. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's like hosting the first. Oh, convention. yeah, he's
0: hosting it. Yeah. yeah.
1: M seeing at least.
0: Yeah. Uh, he, <laughs> that's just such a great he, idea.
2: And then he inserts himself. He's like, listen, I was on the show. Like, He's on the autograph line. Like, <laughs> yeah.
1: I yeah, love right, that. right. They're like, yeah, go mind ahead. If I, mind if I sit in? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And he's got eight by yeah. tens of him. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Well, and that's such a great idea because yeah. I was such a joke on Star Trek. You know, the, the red shirt security who is the nameless characters who get killed every episode.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Such a brilliant idea. Yeah, to I like didn't. A, a, Embrace that and like make that a major <laughs> supporting character for the for the movie,
1: right? Oh, and it's perfect. It plays perfect. I didn't realize it, but Sam Rockwell had been acting for like years and years and years. Like his first his first gig was when he was like ten years old, really. And like he str- he struggled for like third like twenty years, and then had those two movies kind of like back to back. And it's really kind of what I think put him on the map. Like it's certainly Definitely. for me at yeah. least, like. When he became like a household name for me, I was like, "Oh, Sam Rockwell's in this. Definitely gonna check it out." You know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, he he would just get you know bigger and bigger over. I think the next five years or so. And what was the movie? I forgot the name of it, but the, that George Clooney directed, where he was. Oh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Right. I think that yeah, was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was another like one of his first like leading roles that really like started to boost him up out of the supporting character uh well, that you know moon, right
1: like moon moon yes yeah. like mind-blowing like that yeah
0: so rockwell's amazing daryl mitchell who you know i wasn't that familiar with but they had worked with on uh on home fries apparently he had a uh a small role in or smaller role in that and they they just loved him so you know, another funny moment in, in in the movie is like seeing him as a little kid and then cut to 17 years later where he's this adult um, <laughs> yeah. kind of bitter guy. <laughs>
1: right. Well, and one of the I mean, one of the really I mean, for one of the most classic scenes, I think, in Galaxy Quest is when he's pulling out the spaceship from the docking bay. and like just barely (laughs) not clearing and like scraping the side of the that's great you know
0: such a great i mean the whole concept is so great about uh you know taking these characters and and what would they if these actors were forced into this situation of becoming these characters for real like how would it go so how would how would he know how to actually pilot a ship
1: it's well, like, the way they wrote it was great they, because they basically said it 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 pilots based off what we saw you do right in in the show. Right. So like. Yeah. So they make it they make it. The Thermians make it so that they can all be kind of successful if they just play their roles from the movie or from the TV series. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. Everything everything was based on, you know, their Body language and their movements and their, you know, characters' history. So, like when you see, um, actually, I think it was a deleted scene where they take Alan Rickman back to his quarters and they mm. they sh- they show him like the bed that they'd made for him based on his home planet, his character's home <laughs> planet, and it's a bed of spikes. <laughs> Like that his character would have loved, but you know, the actual human, like, what are you going to do with that? So,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which makes sense considering his, his, his planet, the meal from his planet is like giant ticks.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I love that where they're all eating and like guy is eating. It looks like pasta or noodles or something, but his mouth is entirely blue.
2: All right. (laughs)
0: What do you think about the uh, the cast who play the Thermians? All pretty fantastic and a lot of names uh, in there.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Enrico Colant- Colantoni. Uh, so tremendous in this. <laughs> Mathazar is, like, such a fantastic character. I love that, like, reading more about this, like, he is sort of the, Enrico, like, sort of designed that, that sound, that, that feel for the the characters, I think. And then everyone else followed suit, I think.
0: Yeah. He right. just made that he, when he auditioned for the role, he just came up with that voice and, uh, you know, the other sounds he would make. And, and I think that's what won him the part.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing.
0: <laughs> but, uh, all, yeah, all the rest of great. them are, Everybody... yeah, go ahead, Brent.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I think the same thing you're about to say is that the rest of the cast is also, uh, you know, brilliant. And like from my understanding is like on set, they would just kind of like goof around. And that's how they would come up with all these different like kind of quirky things that the Thermians would do. And and Mm -hmm. the director loved it so much. He just let them have free reign to continue to try and one up each other with whatever ridiculous uh, kind of kind of action or, or movement or sound they could they could and and it all played so amazingly in the, in the movie
0: yeah uh missy pile's really fantastic and she'd show up in a lot of a lot of movies throughout the 2000s and uh some tim burton things and um yeah. she's really great and <clears throat> we even get to see a very very young looking rain wilson
1: yeah
2: that's right like he's in and the beginning so per- part with the with the aliens, right? But then we don't see him after a while.
0: Right. Well, and there's a story there. So he apparently got, uh, you know, signed on to do a pilot at the same time they were filming this movie. So they basically, like, they didn't really write him out. They just stopped showing his character once they got on, on the spaceship. It's really, you only see him in the beginning of the movie. Um, and they had a much bigger role for him that I think they parsed out to some of the other actors, but uh, he uh, he had said that he left Galaxy Quest so he could do the worst pilot ever written that did not get picked up.
2: <laughs> oh, bummer!
0: So, big uh, career regret for Rain Wilson was uh, you know walking away from Galaxy Quest. I mean, I don't know how much it would have boosted his career, but, uh, but it was he, he would have had a bigger role for sure.
1: Yeah, he seemed to land on his feet.
0: He did okay, but <laughs> after a while, you know, it took him, what, 2004 yeah. or five before The Office hit, so.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a good point.
0: So the, the other person who's first, so this was Rain Wilson's first movie, and this is also Justin Long's first movie, and I can't tell you how much I love the Brandon character. He's fantastic. He's so good.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: And so, yeah, like, he's
1: perfect. He's just like squeaky and awkward, and just you know, like, absolutely, kind of the leader of his little gang of 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 geeks. And you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a great role for him.
0: And I think they they, I I don't feel like they were really making fun of that, you know, of the of the fans with his character. I think they were like, you know, obviously they they make them a major part of the story. Um, but you know, they're, they're just showing you like, there are people out there who like live and breathe these shows, whether it's star Trek or star Wars or whatever. I'm sure Marvel fans are, are like that now. And, and, uh, you know, that, that it's not, it's not wrong for them to do that. It's okay. And, and, uh, you know, and then they work them actually into the story and into the plot, which was so clever and, you know, the first time I saw it, like I didn't see where that was going, because if you just see it in the beginning, it, it does seem like, yeah, maybe they're making fun of them. But because it has that payoff at the end, it, it just you know comes full circle.
1: Right. I heard in uh, one iteration, <laughs> or or in, in some round of notes, they talked about trying to trim those that storyline down, like the kind of the fan storyline which I think would have been just a horrible idea.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a way for the audience to connect also. And, uh, you know, I think that would have been a a terrible move to drop that storyline. It's just so funny too. It's, it's, you know, that cut where he, you know, he's like helping them and, and what the, you know, when they're in the, the, you know, at the end of the movie, trying to get through the ship and then he's gone and his mom's making him take out the trash and like it's just a brilliant oh, yeah. edit yeah
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely what, that is just that was always hysterical i remember actually that moment in the theater <laughs> people like all these years ago uh it's just a great moment love that
1: right yeah, yeah uh, that storyline you know, i mean ultimately is like the heart of the entire movie is that is that like fandom storyline you know so totally i mean that's what you get rid of it. It's,
0: right i mean it it starts and ends you know at the convention and uh you know you're sort of seeing it through the not through the eyes of the brandon character but really like representing the audience so um just a great job and and he's so good at playing those you know an awkward awkward people he's always been good at that and um yeah just yeah great great move for him and I think it's one of those, like this is one of those roles that you know when people, uh, you know when fans come up to him, like this is one of the ones he gets you know, people talk to him about the most. Uh, so, as far as the effects and visual visual effects, special effects, I think you know something that another aspect that makes this movie hold up so well is. I don't, the effects don't look cheesy. It looks like they put money into, into everything and didn't have that low budget, low grade feel to it, which was really important into making an audience see this as a, you know, a major movie and not just like a B, you know, B or C level spoof movie, like, like a Roger Corman type thing or something. Um, you know, Stan Winston did the uh, the makeup, prosthetics, and effects for the aliens. I mean, and, and it looks great,
1: right? Yeah, it gives the movie to- it totally gives the movie credibility
0: when you when Absolutely. you have
1: somebody of that caliber doing the effects and you don't half ass it and you put a put a lot of thought and and uh, care into it. Like it makes it so it's like, oh well, maybe I should take this movie more serious as well as a viewer.
0: Yeah, it's one of those if if the the special effects or the visual effects or the costume design if it looked like they kind of dropped the ball on any of those it really I obviously it's not like the main uh thrust of the movie but it it's an element that if it wasn't at the level it was at it would really like take an audience out of the movie and remind them like, oh, no, right. you're you're not living this movie and feeling this movie. You're just it, it's now now you're realizing you know that that it is a movie, and th- that's right. like the worst thing to do to your audience.
1: Yeah. Well, and the set design is also like really thoughtfully put together by like, you know, I mean, it's it's a. I assume it's a pretty difficult balance of being able to portray like seventies uh, television set aesthetic right. without it looking super cheap and and crappy right so yeah uh, and I think they did a really great job you know I mean it's it it plays really really well
0: yeah the whole design of the movie I mean the 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 sets the costumes um you know it's all it's it's a very it's another fine line of this movie that they are you know acknowledging Star Trek without looking exactly like like the, the the uniforms don't look like you know the original series or even the you know early movies it's it's futuristic but different it doesn't look like those and and it's important to keep that balance separate i mean do you think like the ship looks like the enterprise or do they make that kind of separate enough
2: yeah i don't get an enterprise vibe from it but it's like you know there's a, there's a body and there's wings but they it seemed more like a bird to me like uh it's yeah but it's still a subtle thing there's a roundness to it um yeah i mean it's but it's not like they were trying to mimic it i think in any way I just like really probably tried to keep their distance in case it looked <clears> like well there. yeah
0: and they if if you look at the code words you know the the coding on the ship itself it says nte and apparently that meant not the enterprise right
2: <laughs> right so if they ever got almost
1: (laughs) go
0: ahead uh no i was gonna say if they got uh if they ever like went to court or paramount sued them you know they they could say it's not it's specifically not the enterprise that's what this means
1: (laughs) right (laughs) yeah it's like it's like similar enough for you to get the association but it's unique enough to to not uh get them in trouble
0: Yeah. And I think even with, um, you know, Saris and, and I forget what his race of beings is called, but um, uh, it was played by an actor named Robin Sachs, who was another, another great actor. But, uh, you know, he didn't look like, like the Klingons or, you know, the Thermians didn't look like the Vulcans or the Romulans. They, they all had a distinct look that was separate from anything Star Trek. And, really important to to make that distinction that if you know anything again it would I think it would take you out of the movie if like it looked too close to Star Trek specifically so the movie is uh, you know they finished filming the movie and and this whole time while they're making it they're you know they're kind of flying under the radar and uh, you know they had a lot more creative control than I think you normally would because the studio was so Apparently there was a lot of, you know, things that went on on the set of Gladiator that it was sort of, you know, like I said earlier, all hands on deck from from Dreamworks with with Gladiator. So these guys are just making their movie and doing it, you know, uh we talked <laughs> about like some of the dialogue was different. Like clearly at the end of the movie you can say you could see what Sigourney Weaver actually was scripted for her, I think. Um where yeah. she says the F word, <laughs> yeah. Where, like, they change it to "screw this." Where clearly that's not what she's saying.
2: Yeah, it's I think super in,
1: <clears throat> I've probably seen this movie like twenty, thirty times uh, since since it came out in the theaters, and I think honestly, I never even noticed that until until this this last time watching it. This oh really? Time. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> I don't recall I ca- ever noticing that.
0: I didn't catch it in the theater, but I I remember catching it a while ago. And, like, once you see it, like, you can't unsee it. Right. But uh, I think it did have, you know, the movie that they shot, I think, had a lot edgier things. Between, you know, the, the dialogue was a little racier and Tony Shaloub's like... You know, pot smoking was had a heavier part in it. So finally, when they're when they're done making the movie and it's they're they're cutting it together, the studio's like, "Whoa, wait a minute! Like this is not the family friendly movie we you know thought we were making here." And on top of that, you've got I I believe it was the Rugrats movie had come out that um, was huge, and they kind of did a uh you know not an about face but they think they really wanted to push this movie as a as a family-friendly kids movie that uh you know that should be the main audience here Ugh. which wasn't like who they were originally necessarily going after right
2: it would have been for like the adult fr- like adult fans of star trek like you know like a, right entire exactly like, like- Here's another yeah, reference to all of that.
0: Yeah, I think that was the movie right. that uh, the audience that Dean Pariso was was uh, you know targeting when when they shot it, but it was it was uh uh not who Dreamworks necessarily wanted to push it towards. So if if you watch the trailer, like it looks I don't know. The trailer's a little misleading. The marketing was a little Like, well, like, yeah, the movie's about that, but it's uh, about a lot more as well.
1: Yeah, it all feeds, it all probably, I mean, it all feeds into a very awkward kind of like run at the, at the, at the theater, right? Because it's like the studio didn't know what movie was being made. They didn't know who they were supposed to market it for. The director was trying to make one movie. Studio was trying to sell it to another one. Plus it's a mix of this sci-fi comedy that, you know, studios have a hard time like you had mentioned before like knowing how to they need very specific guidelines on how to market stuff they want to paint right numbers you know and so you know if you're throwing them curveballs they they confuses them and they're like oh, i don't know what to do here well it's yeah just, and they you, you know really they like track jumbled up confusing marketing plan
0: yeah they you know they track all these things they have all their focus groups and You know, this was, I think in their mind was a straightforward sci-fi movie and not necessarily this like blend of, you know, comedy that has has you thinking a lot more about it than you normally would. So I, I don't think they knew at that time really how to do that. And it's, you know, movies like Shaun of the Dead that would come later that would really like push that envelope and um you know, really start blending a lot more in a much more, in in a successful way that, okay, then by the mid 2000s, okay, so studios are starting to learn like, okay, this, this can be for a few different audiences. And that's, that that's okay to do that. Like, I just wonder if a movie like Twister, if they could have really worked in a more comedic angle to that movie, like, maybe that would have a lot longer shelf life than, than it does now just a
2: couple of like
0: yeah. trombones
2: behind like some of the cheesier lines and, and jokes that go <laughs> on like just to cue the audience just, would, have yeah. been, would have been helpful <laughs> it would have lightened the tone a just, bit uh,
0: <laughs> look think, at the camera would, and know, wink
1: they're yeah. like guys 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 check it out we need tornadoes and we need sharks mm-hmm. and oh wait <laughs>
0: well that works <laughs> yeah um but yeah, this so this, you know, the, the film came out and, and I think it took, you know, not too long before it started really getting that, that like we said, that cult status and that a lot of street credibility and, and people really were loving this movie. I, I think I want to say by like 2002 or three, it was definitely, you know, quite popular, much more popular than when right. it came out
2: yeah i mean it was just like yeah. back back when the star trek cons were going on in the 70s and people would uh you know trade and trade their videotapes of episodes and or stuff like that you know making sure yeah all the stuff out there to fans like like this had to spread its way through like general audiences and and like the more nerdy nerdier ones
0: yeah and and it's you know it's and it's okay that that happens, you know, that's like, look at the Evil Dead franchise, like that took years before that was, uh, you know, that cult status really like pushed that back up to the surface. But, yeah. um, you know, this was, this was relatively quickly, but there's, you know, it's an, a movie that, uh, you know, 99, 2000, there's a lot of big movies that are coming out. And um, I think audiences tastes are changing at that point And it, it got... Maybe a little bit lost in the shuffle, but, you know, home video, I think really, uh, it's one of those that really capitalized on that.
1: Yeah, it definitely found its way. Audiences audiences uh, came around, you know? Um, yeah. And I think I think they were, you know, they weren't they trying to do a, a TV series or a sequel, like a spinoff or something at some point?
0: Yeah, I think Amazon was developing it was never really that clear if it was galaxy quest two, if it was, it was, it was, I think for a while it was galaxy quest two, and then it kind of morphed into more of a series. And was it going to be, you know, a re a reboot or is it a follow up or, you know, what, what exactly it was. And then when, unfortunately, Alan Rickman passed away, it seemed to pump the brakes on anything galaxy quest related and, I don't. I don't even know if it's really in development anymore, which, which tells me it had to be. You know, it it had to involve the original cast if if they stopped it without Alan Rickman. Because, yeah, I mean, could you make a Galaxy Quest two without him? Definitely not.
2: Right. Yeah. There. There'd be no reason.
0: Yeah, I think you know, with his passing, there's the story is these characters, so. If you're not doing a complete reboot with a new cast, then there's nothing left to tell without all of these people being involved. I think it would have been great. I think they should have done a Galaxy Quest too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think there I think there was more story there. Uh, I, I'm sure they could come up with something, but um, sure. that would have been really really fun. But uh, they never did it, and now it's too late, unfortunately
2: yeah so yeah. it gets to exist as as it is like forever uh without any kind of taint to it or you know <laughs> update i, I would yeah hope.
1: yeah yeah i mean i i don't think it's i mean you know i i don't think a sequel is necessarily needed for it i think it it plays great just the way it is you know it's a it's a full story but obviously you know these characters are are ones that if they did decide to continue to, to tell their stories, uh, you know, it would be entertaining to see.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the the, the whole plot of, of, you know, the episodes of the show being, you know, broadcast out across the, the galaxy and other races seeing it and thinking it's real is a brilliant idea. And that does, I mean, I think it does give you fuel for if you wanted to tell other, you know, I, I make another movie or two or whatever. There's there's room for a lot of creative story ideas there. But but yeah, I mean, it's okay that they didn't as well. And and this it does um, you know boost the status of this movie I think higher because this is it. This is all you get. So you have to love just this version of it. And you know how they do these things. It's like. The first one works, so they rush a sequel and maybe the sequel's terrible or, you know, one sequel's good, but then they make it a trilogy and it's terrible, you know, it's ruined and and then that waters down the original one and, and, you know, this didn't have that problem.
1: Yeah. It's always good to leave audiences wanting more.
0: Yeah. And it's rare that the studios do it, but uh, I guess we should enjoy it when it does happen. Yeah. Not everything was, is a trilogy, guys. Not everything is a trilogy.
2: I bet if this thing pulled in well, like a hundred million instead of like the seventy-ish million that it did, you know, it probably probably would have had a sequel much much easier. For sure. Yeah. Well, was, yeah.
0: But... <clears throat> well, all right. So let's talk. Let's talk box office. We're here. We're at the the bo yeah, part of the show. Go. Oh, hello. Um, it, <laughs> it had a. Uh, it had a $45 million budget. So that's, you know, a pretty sizable budget. Um, it came out December 25th, Christmas Day, 1999. Opening weekend, it was only $7 million. So it, um, it came out against a lot of competition. So, I, you know, that, that's a tough spot for this kind of cult movie to find its, its audience with. I mean, it came out yeah. against Man on the Moon, any given sunday and the talented mr ripley all open that weekend
1: oh wow yikes
0: so and there was and there was already a ton uh, of
2: movies in the theater family friendly probably totally
0: yeah um uh, so you know oh, debuting at number number uh what i think it was number 6 or something i believe that it was you know it was already kind of behind everybody at that point yeah yeah um you know and and at that point it's like you know people go see man on the moon the opening weekend then they're going to see any given sunday next and ripley and then whatever else and um uh, you know uh, obviously huge actors in those and tim allen who's leading the way on this is as uh, you know not as heavy competition for your your Matt Damon's and Gwyneth Paltrow's and Jim Carrey's and Al Pacino's and, um, you know, so it was, it was a much steeper competition that, that, uh, that month.
2: Yeah. Ultimately it
0: does. Yeah. Ultimately it does 71 million domestically. So it, you know it all it uh it ends up doing okay i think still they wanted more from it worldwide it was around 90 million um you know the the total so yeah it it does okay it basically doubles the budget so you know they they started to make some money back but still i think they were hoping for more
1: well they probably could have had more but
0: yeah, and and it ranks number thirty of nineteen ninety nine. So it it falls just behind Deep Blue Sea, that that other classic film from from that year.
1: Well, I can tell you of all the other movies that you mentioned that came out that opening weekend, I have seen Galaxy Quest by far many more times like... than any of those others <laughs> combined. I
0: I think I've seen all the others once. So yeah,
1: I think so too. Yeah. I think probably 90... any given Sunday I've seen more than once, but other than that,
0: uh, yeah. yeah. But ninety nine is—I mean, that's a lot of big movies came out that year. That was, you know, the return of Star Wars to the theaters, and you had Toy Story two, and you had um, Austin Powers two, and and just, and of course, Deep Blue Sea. Don't forget that. <laughs> The Matrix, Deep The Lucy. Sixth Sense. The Matrix, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did I, did I mention Deep Blue Sea came out that year? Um, you did, you did. Deep Blue Sea, yeah. Blair <laughs>
2: classic. Blair Witch, which we covered on our show uh, some many moons ago. So come yeah, check it out that on was, the
0: website. Uh, Yeah, Blair Witch, ba- again, back in year one, Com, Check it out there. Uh, yeah, but you know, a, a lot of huge movies. So again, you can... You can see how this this genre mix uh, of a film gets lost in there um, and, and doesn't really find its way until a little bit later, but thankfully it did. So I don't know. I recommend, I, I love this movie. There, there's so much to enjoy. It stays, I mean, you know, you've watched it a bunch, Brent. I'm sure, David, you've seen it a number of times. Oh, yeah. I've seen it probably 20 times, and it stays funny. It doesn't like the jokes don't get old.
1: Yeah. It's pretty classic, you know, like it just, it withstands the test of time for sure. Yeah. There's
0: so many like little funny things too, in it that like, like I love, you know, the end of the movie where you've got sort of like, okay, now the show's come back and you're seeing the opening credit sequence again. And, and just that like, when they introduce guy and he like he's got his hair's like all done and he like <laughs> turns and smiles at the, you know winks at the camera and i i love that i love that stuff <laughs> that, that that's that gets me every time mm-hmm. guy is just you know sam rockwell and guy is just so you know he's comic relief for sure the whole way through like he doesn't have any of the real like dramatic moments but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you know I, another thing i thought was really funny at the end Sort of action sequence when Saris comes onto the bridge of the ship and and is shooting everybody. Mm-hmm. They're all everybody's shot and maybe dead. I think you're led to believe that some of them have been killed, uh, except Guy. <laughs> he's no, right. He's the That's only one who's <laughs> <there>. like. <laughs> <laughs> a good shot, it's the total right. opposite. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think of, of that. Like normally, <laughs> I never like, even caught He's. That. He's so worried about dying the whole time. So when it actually comes down to it, he's the only one that lives. Until <laughs> uh, the, you know, of course, the Omega 13 spoiler alert is yeah. activated and, and uh, you know, Tim and Allen is able to is save rewritten. the day. Yes. But only by 13 seconds.
2: That's all you need yeah. to fix Just one mistake.
0: And that, that, yeah, enough time to erase one single mistake. Yeah, the perfect uh,
1: TV device.
0: Exactly. And, and the whole, like, you know, when Brandon is helping them, helping um, Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver get through the ship and he's kind of guiding them with the what, what the blueprints would be, which is such, like, a, only the fans care about that stuff. Like, anybody making right. the show really doesn't. And they don't always necessarily think it through. They just think of, like, what is a good plot device? Like, those those chomping you know metal things that are the chompers that (laughs) (laughs) that uh serve no purpose and and the way sigourney weaver acknowledges how badly that episode was written is is just genius like call back to itself
2: no like but that bit where they get through the chompers and the last thing is just there's just fire blowing right past it you don't see the fire (laughs) until after they cross it's just like this added hazard on the spaceship, yeah, uh, such a great moment.
0: <laughs> and the omega thirteen itself, like nobody knows what that is because they never aired the answer to that question.
2: Yeah, right. I, lo- I love that. I love that uh, they could like so... recreate the whole thing in that way. <laughs> like, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> uh,
0: ah, yeah, just so, fun. so great. There's just there's you know, enough to enjoy on a rewatch, uh, you know, absolutely with this movie. So I would give it uh how many Jack Burton's do we give it? I'm out of 13. I'm giving it, I'm giving it 13.
2: Wow. The perfect movie. You're up there with Mamet.
0: Well, we, we did talk, he, we did consult before he put that book out and then, uh, you know, that <laughs> statement. So,
2: hmm. Uh, i I'm, i
0: told him godfather and galaxy quest and he went with Dodsworth and and uh the other one a place in the sun so that was that's how we <laughs> tag team that
2: uh, i see well i definitely uh no i think this will be my first perfect perfect score on the show 13 out of 13 jack burton's nice
0: oh, Wow. nice what do you think brent
1: uh, I'm new to the Jack Burton grading system, so 13 is the top score.
0: Yeah, so basically, out of you know Jack Burton, which is a, a reference to Big Trouble in Little China, we we rank things okay. uh, out, of, out of a 13 being 13 Jack Burtons is perfection. Is uh, that's our top, or, or zero Jack Burtons would be you hate the movie. So where where does it Got fall it. for you?
1: Uh, well, I. Uh... My philosophy is that nothing is ever perfect, so I'm going to go with twelve because I think okay. there's always room for for growth and improvement. Uh, okay. But I'll go twelve. I think I think just rewatchability and like what this movie uh, was up against when it first made, and the fact that it still found an audience, and to this day, uh, you know, we're recording a podcast about it, and people love it, and you know, now there's conventions for Galaxy Quest you know, like it's become its own meta. Like I think,
0: yep. uh, you know,
1: I think it's phenomenal. Like it's a great movie. Wow.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, the actors who, who made the movie, when they look back, it, this is one of their favorite films. They all talk about it so endearingly and uh, lovingly that, yeah, you know, no movie is easy to make, but I think this is the most you know one of their each of their most respected and loved movies and and they always appreciate that so um yeah i uh, i i kind of want to just watch it again right now now that now that we have all this time on our hands uh, you know let's just make yeah. a daily galaxy quest uh screening
1: not a bad i have to idea. be honest with you guys i had it playing in the background while we recorded this podcast Nice. no 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 go. sound just just visually up and running wow yeah down That's at smart.
0: the down at, over at the <laughs> Voorhees institute you have it running there right now
1: on on all monitors throughout the entire uh 40 story complex
0: very good. <laughs> yeah very good <laughs> with your staff of one right now
1: <laughs> i'm locking it down
0: we have the whole Recon Cinema Studios on you know, we're obeying the social distancing and, and right now it's just the three of us on the whole studio lot. So um yeah. we're you know, recording from afar.
1: Yeah, we're each we're each in our own separate uh contained environment. But mm-hmm. yeah. But
0: yeah. 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 Where we'll so guys, continue to guys... record until this is all over. So Let's keep
2: pumping them out. Let's just keep our one hundred yeah. feet or more distance as usual per yes. Recon yeah. Cinema policy.
1: That's but that's that's the policy all the time, right? I yeah. mean, that's not <laughs> just anything there. Generally, yeah.
0: That's all the time, yeah. Yeah. David doesn't like you know, people to be too close, so he's got that he's got a restraining order against society in general. So
1: Yeah.
2: So there's always a hundred foot <laughs> radius around me where yeah. new people can be
1: backup backup people mm-hmm. yeah
0: <laughs> i get uh, it i get it <laughs> well yeah so galaxy quest has now been reconsinimized, uh and i i loved taking a look back at this film and you know we we earlier this uh week we kind of went over the lineup for the rest of the year and it's very it's a very exciting lineup we have this year some some specials later on coming up that's uh uh, Going to be a lot of fun to get into. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And Brent, we would always love to have you as as often as as you can make it whenever all of our schedules uh, line up and, and we can all do it. We'd love to have you back.
1: Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be back soon. I'm, that would be amazing. Uh, I got I got nothing but time, so you guys just <laughs> let me know when the next one is, and I'll be here. I'll give until you until you get sick of me. which I'm sure we'll copy
0: that yes oh definitely yeah Yeah. and uh, guys uh, check us out on social media Reconcimation Podcast you can find us on Instagram uh, Facebook Twitter you can always check out our website at www.reconcimation.com for some of our older episodes check out our our hackathon 2020 where we looked at Gene Hackman with Hoosiers and Night Moves and the French Connection which was uh, a lot of fun to look back at his work and, and uh, we got a lot more fun stuff coming up and don't forget to check us out on on Apple Podcasts and give us a, a rating and review, it always it helps to the status of the show and you know what guys, let's get all our friends, let's spread the word about the show just, uh, you know, some street cred and word of mouth goes, goes a long way too, so tell all your friends,
2: tell everybody yeah yeah <laughs> Send them a free subscription.
0: That's <laughs> exactly. In yeah. The, in the all ma- the subscriptions are free. So everybody <laughs> enjoy I've it. Been, but, um... I've
2: been paying. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well, yeah, let's talk about that off air. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. And, and don't forget our friends, to E.K. Wimmer. Thank you again for the theme music. And check out his podcast, Laser Graves. And... Curtis Moore for the, the artwork as always. And uh, looking forward to covering the next episode. Will we go to the 70s? Will we go to the 80s or stay in the 90s? You'll have to tune in uh, for our next show. So check us out on the next episode of Cinemation.
2: Bye now.